This episode of the Policing Matters podcast is sponsored by the Master of Science in Law Enforcement and Public Safety Leadership Program at the University of San Diego. Learn how this nationally ranked online program can help you be a force for change at san diego.edu/slash police one. Well, welcome to Policing Matters. I'm your host, Jim Dudley. Well, we've got a great guest for you today. And the subject matter may, you know, have some of you be a little bit resistant, but there is a really good nugget at the end of this. And today's guest is Jason Lehman. And traffic stops are anything but routine. Some of the largest media issues that have been highlighted in the press have been started with car stops, routine car stops, as we sometimes say, but we all know they're not routine. Uh, Over the years, the past five years or so, is it any wonder why the public question authority and resist compliance? And that's sort of built into us these days or built into the public uh, about resisting authority. So is it any wonder that we have these kinds of conflicts that we're seeing in, in regular media? Wouldn't it be great to be able to mutter the simple four words at a beginning of an interaction, driver's license registration, please. And then in the middle, press hard, three copies, and then finally, have a great day. Those are the four words repeated three times, right? Wouldn't it be great if we could just get through a traffic stop like that? But of course, we know it's not that simple. Well, you know, a couple of six or eight months ago, I was supposed to have a guest on who was uh, lecturing young people on uh, their rights at traffic stops and at detentions by police officers. And uh, I had a trouble lining up the individual because he happened to be running for mayor. He was Captain Eric Adams of the NYPD. And he, he had a little bit of a different take in arming these people with knowledge of what the their roles and responsibilities were. Well, today's guest uh, has a foundation called uh, WYSM, and that stands for Why'd You Stop Me? And I was intrigued at this. And he is a veteran law enforcement officer, and I'm going to read his bio for you. He's Jason Lehman, veteran police sergeant with an affable personality and the gift of gab. On top of that, he stands about six foot four and well, his weight is his own business. I'll let him talk about that. It's no wonder why, of course, he gets cooperation, but beyond his physical bearing, he knows how to talk with folks. Jason has passed it along his words of wisdom to people on both sides of the car stop or field interview. He started WYSM, Why'd You Stop Me? in an effort to demystify those interactions and help a little bit to help the cop and the suspect consider their perspective and the perspective of the other. So welcome. Great to have you, Jason Lehman. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. Hey, how'd you get to thinking about talking about this with, I I know you talk about cops, you talk with cops about what they should be thinking and, you know, defensively on car stops and detentions. What about the other side of the uh, the interview? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. There's there's two sides to every contact and three sides to every story. And I learned this the hard way. I learned as a police officer coming up in Southern California 
that working in the gray area at times was something that was um, permitted in, in certain areas and in certain ways. And I hate to say that, but this is years ago. And years ago, the community did not hold the police to as high of a standard as they do now. Policing was still great. It was still an excellent profession, but there were some slip ups in the things that police officers did. And as a as what I would call a sometimes gray area police officer myself, um, and I say that in, a, in an embarrassing moment, um, I learned that that's not the way to do it. I learned that ethical policing is the way to go and to do things the right way is the way to go. And that's what most police officers in America today are doing. Um, you think that aspects of the media and the loud minority in number, not minority in race, but the loud minority in number are making police officers have this feeling that I don't want to get out of the car or that I don't want to do this or I don't want to do that. So to go back to those times where this got started, I worked on a gang and violent crime suppression team in Long Beach, California. And I was doing my police work and I had a few years on the job and I got into a undercover uh, drug deal that went bad. And in that undercover drug deal, I ended up unfortunately taking somebody's life. And when that happened, I got up off of this person's body and realized that they were dead. And I took a deep breath. And at the end of that deep breath, two thoughts jumped in my head. And during this critical instance, the way that your brain functions, obviously we all know is just absolutely haywire at times. But I thought to myself, I could have done something different or he could have done something different. Now, how juvenile of a thought. I felt like I was back in the third grade. I couldn't get those thoughts out of my head. But I was then separated from my peers. I had my firearm removed from me. I had this three-day vacation that aspects of the community thinks is this paid vacation, right? But really... It's a time for, it was a time for me to reflect and to see what was going on there. Now, I, I, was, I was cleared through a psychologist. I was able to get back into work. I was told that everything that I did was within policy from our homicide team in the police department, and it was all legal from our, you know, the district attorney's office and, and, and their DA's investigators. So everything was supposed to be okay, but it wasn't okay for me. And it wasn't okay for me because I started to think about why force occurs. And when I started thinking about why force occurs, I started thinking about the onus that I put on the community to just cooperate. Just, and at the time I used the word comply, just comply. It is so simple to think about it, but it's only simple to think about it because I was raised to understand that. But if I was raised not to understand how to cooperate or to comply, then why would I have to cooperate or comply? If nobody has really explained to me the benefit of cooperation or compliance, why would I want to do it, right? That would be like saying, hey, I like sushi, but I've never tried sushi, right? There's nobody I know that says they like sushi without trying sushi. And so it's important to think about these different ideas and these different aspects. So ultimately, if, if we fast forward a couple of years from that force incident, I had gotten myself into a bunch of internal affairs cases, some of them sustained, and fought through a bunch of trauma in, in the early years of my career. But in 2011, I was on a team and there was a threat that we were going to be ambushed and killed. And that threat came because of the hard-nosed police work that myself and our teammates were doing with one of the largest criminal street gangs uh, in the city of Long Beach. And so I was removed from the street and ultimately somehow ended up in a classroom. And when I ended up in this classroom, I started speaking to a group of kids. And in speaking to this group of kids, 
I very quickly realized that I was talking about myself. This is why I point guns. This is why I drive fast. This is why I use my siren. This is why so many of my team shows up on a call. This is why I have officer safety. This is why I do these things. This is why I squeeze your fingers when I search you. Because a lot of us don't realize it. It's not normal for a human being to manipulate another human being's body. It just becomes normal for cops. <laughs> it's just, it's normal for a cop to walk up and start touching people. But I, that's very abnormal. So these things that were, were I was explaining was my norm and my baseline. And it was my baseline because of my training and my experience. So we fast forward through an hour of a discussion. And at the end, a young man stands up in the back of the room. And that young man in the back of the room looks at me. And in Long Beach, they call me tiny. And I, I, I mean, I'm, my doctor just told me a few weeks ago that I'm not overweight. I'm just way too short for my weight. He said I'm supposed to be like 10 foot seven, Jim. I, I have no clue. So <laughs> the bottom line is, you know, I'm a heftier guy, a larger stature. And this young man, smaller than me, stands up in the back of the room and without any fear in the world, looks at me and says, Tiny, I don't know if you remember me, but two years ago, you arrested me with a gun. Now, this kid at 17 years old, he pretty much owned the conversation. And during this conversation, I learned that through vulnerability and by dropping my ego, I can actually learn from my community. I don't have to control every aspect of every moment of every conversation and every incident. And I just listened to this kid. And I, I, for some reason, I didn't even care to have a response at the moment. I actually just shut down and listened. This kid won me over. He said, hey, uh, I want to tell you a couple things about that stop. It was raining that day and it was across the street from the school. And uh, I was carrying a gun. But before I tell you these things about the stop, and just to kind of clear the air, I want you to know that I've thought about hurting you. And uh, I'll say right now, right this moment, I'll never hurt you. It wasn't until today, until you showed me that I have a reason to respect police officers and that I have a reason to listen to the police. Because the way I was raised in the inner city neighborhood in my community, I was raised that the police weren't good. I was supposed to run from the police. I wasn't supposed to listen to the police. If I called the police, the police were going to arrest me. The police were not here to help people like me. And he said, this is how these these kids in this class feel tiny and i had never really stopped to think about that i'd heard it on the street i'd heard it you know over the years but i'd never stopped to process what i heard because there's a difference there right so he said that stop was a big deal for me he said i'm going to tell you three things about that stop and i hope you hear these three things because i've been waiting to tell you and it was a little bit scary to me he said uh the first thing is I was holding the hand of my first girlfriend. I was wearing clothes. My mom bought me with the last money she had. And she was standing across the street right at the bottom of the apartment complex. And we were on our way to leave on our first date. First date ever. I was 15 years old. First real date. You got out of the car and your homeboys pointed guns at me. And with all those guns pointed at me, you told me to let go of my girl's hand. And I don't know if you remember, but it was hard for me to let go of her hand. Hmm. And I vividly remember this. He said, you made me get down on my knees in the rain and crawl to you, at which time you dropped your knee in my back. And one of your homeboys swept me away. He said, it felt pretty disrespectful. And he ended that first part by saying, I was raised never to be disrespected in front of a woman. Weren't you tiny? He said, the second thing was my mom was across the street. I got arrested. And when I came back from detention, my mom started crying. I looked at her and I tried to apologize to her because... I figured out it probably wasn't a good idea for me to carry a gun, 
But my mom said that the cops came over and spoke to her. And at that arrest, the cop walked over to her and said, your son's going to jail. He'll call you in a couple hours. Take care. And the cop walked away. The young man looked at me and boasted, my mom wanted to know more, Tiny. He looked at me and said, wouldn't your mom? And the third thing he said, which was really, it really brought this together for me, is he said, hey, you know, you know, the people in my neighborhood don't carry guns for cops. I was not too often. He said, I was carrying a gun, but I was carrying a gun to protect my family. I was protecting my family because my brother had just been shot and killed three months before you saw me. Right at the bottom of the apartment complex. My little sister was inside the apartment at the time, and I'm the big brother now. My mom's outside and I had to protect my family because it was a dangerous situation. He looked at me and blew my mind and said, hey, if uh, all that happened to your family, wouldn't you be carrying a gun, Tiny? And Jim, there's no way I wouldn't be carrying a gun. You and I, be, we would be armed. There is no, we would be carrying a firearm. Now, maybe not illegally, right? But we would want to make sure that we stayed safe, right? That would be the time in law enforcement where we would definitely carry off duty, right? No matter when we didn't carry, we'd definitely start carrying now, right? Mm -hmm. And so it was interesting to think about all three of those things, but the guy ended it very powerfully. He said, when you start thinking about us, you're going to be safer than you've ever been. Nobody's ever taught us this. So this program has to happen, but you can't just talk about yourself. You have to talk about us. And when you talk about us, we're going to be safer. The young man looked at me. And he said, nobody's going to hurt you. I want, I want you to know that nobody in this room is going to hurt you and I'm not going to hurt you. But I also want to thank you for your time. And the kid ended the conversation by saying, you can go now, Tiny. And he kicked me out of the classroom. So I walked out <laughs> of the classroom and this, uh, this assistant principal that brought me in says, what's the name of your program? I said, I don't know. And I'll be honest with you. I still was in the traditional cop mindset, guns, drugs, and bad guys. Yeah. He said, "Now nah, you got it. You got a program here. These kids listened. You had them captivated. Um, you know, I pulled a couple of these kids out from trying to jump the fence to leave school right when I brought them into the classroom. Like these kids are not the best listeners. I said, well, they always want to know why they got stopped. So call it. Why'd you stop me? And ultimately what why'd you stop me has done since after being nationally endorsed by the Fraternal Order of Police after partnering with, with companies at large companies and groups like Lexapol, after making all of these different partnerships happen is we have become the number one provider of community training to teach community members how to cooperate with authority systems. And we call it Together Achieving Greatness. Today, we've trained 40,000 community members in 22 different cities, and we have the ability to go anywhere in this country and provide this training. And that's really what happened was I realized that when you empower community members, especially community members that are difficult or maybe considered resistant, when you empower them with the knowledge they need to cooperate and answer their why in, without being demeaning, without taking away dignity, while still maintaining respect, um, you improve and increase safety tenfold. And we've been able to see um, statistical data through a research study that was done in this Salinas and Monterey County area that by training community members and police officers to a similar understanding that we've been able to really affect uh, um, cooperation, peace, and improve uh, a term that most of us know as police legitimacy. So it's been, it's been great. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's awesome. And you said so many things in, in your, uh, your introduction there, um, you know, your classic uh, warrior and guardian by what you do 
and uh, you're just affecting the lives of so many young people. Uh, so I see you're talking to the police. I want to get the police perspective. What do you talk about with when you talk about other cops? But also when you have these sort of captive audiences, these community groups, young people, high schoolers, whatever. Um, what? So that's one of your audience segments. What about the other segment that's not come into community meetings, the right. kids that have dropped out of school, uh, what's your strategy to reach them? Yeah, so so just, just to make sure that all of us understand this, and I think we do, but think about this concept. We all want, I would think most police officers want communities to be trained on how to cooperate with the police. I can't say all, I, I don't, I'm not a big universal guy, but most of us want that. But what incentivizes that training? So let's start from there. I go into police uh, classrooms almost daily now. And I speak to police officers. And when I provide this training, I ask the police officers, would you come to this training unless you were making $50 an hour? Hmm. And 95% of them tell me no. So then I say, okay, well, we're here to work on ourselves, but let's go back to the community for a second. What's going to incentivize community members to want to come to this training? And the answer that we come up with is, I don't know. So we have to find a way to incentivize community training because unless you have a captive audience in jails or prisons where we operate in a resisting arrest diversion program, which we do have resisting arrest diversion programs in multiple counties in seventh and ninth grade classrooms, where if you don't go to class, you don't succeed. And we, we know the importance of school, but to get the people that aren't in any of those spaces, how do you find them? So what we want to do is we want to find people that would, that would, through a profile, typically have a higher level of contact with the police. It doesn't mean race. It doesn't mean socioeconomic background. It means maybe they've been arrested for resisting arrest, or maybe they have, maybe they're inside the walls of jail or prison or through probation or parole. Jim, I don't know if you remember this concept called parole, but it's back when people used to commit felonies. Do you remember what felonies are? <laughs> yes. I have a vague recollection. Oh, okay. All right, cool. So, so we, we want to be able to empower these different groups and we do it um, through two different ways. One, we find that captive audience or through it's through incentivization. So we want to, you know, for example, for example, San Jose, the mayor's gang task force in San Jose decided to raffle out one PlayStation every hour, every hour, $600 PlayStation every hour. And they brought in as close to, to what would be considered gang members as would ever walk into a room. But our training is magnified a million times when every police officer embraces the concept of on-scene education. We don't have to have these rooms as often if I, me as a police officer, I'm, I'm becoming an educational police officer and understanding the importance of relationship building on scene. And ultimately we have to be able to answer the why for the community and the why for the police. So hopefully that answered the question for you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, okay, what's, what's your take when you get that room full of cops? Uh, you got to have some, the ones in the back row that are like, tiny, this is some kind of BS. That's right. Conv That's convince right. me. Yeah, you know, um, we, don't, we don't want to use this term lightly um, because sometimes it's, a, it's associated with fairies and butterflies and utopian worlds, but we have to build affinity. And I, when, you, when we look at the definition of affinity, that's what we have to build in the room. It's a safe space where we have respect for each other and we think that there's something that we have to offer one another. 
And that affinity is really big. So we come into the room and within the first hour, if we're not laughing for about the first 20 or for about 20 minutes of that hour, we know the pulse is, we know what the pulse light is like. So we take that second hour and we continue building that affinity to make sure that we're in there and, and have an understanding. But it all starts with the why. And I'd like, I'd like you to think about this. In all your years in law enforcement, did you push this concept? And, and I'll ask you to be honest. The way that we end a contact today will directly correlate to an increase or decrease in future safety for another police officer tomorrow. We prove that. And once we prove that, police officers say, I'm not going to be selfish. I'm not going to take an a-hole approach to an a-hole community member. Right. Because traditionally in law enforcement, I think that years ago, and I'm not going to say it happens today very much, although I know it does happen, but you treat people with respect as long as they treat you with respect. But once they treat you like an a-hole, sometimes you treat them as such. And that's a broken system. And that's not what's being taught. That's not what's, that's not the, the norm, but that does happen. And when that happens, what we do ultimately is we come up with a theory called the poke the bear theory. If you poke the bear too much, you know, you're all, and here's the theory, here's where the theory twists. You know, you're always going to be safe. Tiny, when I was being an a-hole out there in the first few years of my career, I knew I was going to be safe. Next time I see you, you're not going to catch me slipping. I'm going to catch you slipping, right? It was the big gang cop mentality for me back then. But I didn't think about Jessica Ruiz, the officer that just got out, just got off of training, doesn't have the, the ton of skill set to be able to deal with this guy, but she wears the same uniform as me. Mm -hmm. So when this gentleman who I've been poking finds Jessica Ruiz, what's he inclined to do if I'm dehumanizing the contact every single time? So it's pretty intense to think about that. Now, I'm not saying it's complete that, that the fault lies completely on the police in no way, shape or form. But it's helpful when we can see a situation that is a critical incident where somebody is in crisis. And that's usually what we come into when we put a light bar on behind somebody or shine a huge light in somebody's hands or eyes and see that, you know what, this isn't normal for this person. Let's explain our way through this and let's understand that the process matters more than the outcome. And that process is something that where we build trust and we build trust through the use and, and application in law enforcement of procedural justice. So, you know, it, it's really a, a two-sided, uh, double-edged sword, two-way street. Yeah, and I know exactly what you're talking about. You can be having a great uh, rapport with somebody, even in an arrest situation, and then you know the guy or the gal who shows up who's going to just throw a can of turpentine on your, your little smoldering fire right. and all bets are off. Right. So yeah. yeah, the idea of being that one who approaches and, you know, tries to calm the situation and leaves it calm, whether you leave them be or arrest them, sure. you know, even if you have to chase them down, tackle them, put them in handcuffs, you stand them up and you dust them off and you tell them, Hey, this is what happens when That's you right. When, Right. So uh, I totally get what you're saying. And it is it's you know, you just lit a fuse when you react that way to someone and you leave them, you're just leaving them smoldering and the fuse is, you know, waiting to, to ignite. And then the next person shows up and that's what they get. I totally hear you. And um, it'd be interesting to hear what the suspect says about why they do what they do. That's right. And, that, and that's what we do is we introduce videos of past suspects to the police in our training mm -hmm. and they get to hear what the suspects feel like. And then we actually bring in 
suspects to talk to the police, but they're not suspects anymore. They're community champions. We utilize and team up a police officer and a justice system involved person on every single one of our trainings. And they come in, they're vetted, they're, they're tried, they're trusted, they're true, and they're pro-community and pro-law enforcement. It's not a um, person who comes in and is disrespectful with the police, but they work to challenge police officers to see things a little bit differently because I think that it's human behavior to treat people that you think a certain way about in a certain way, right? So if I go to um, McDonald's, I think I'm meeting a minimum wage worker. Well, what does that mean about the way I'm gonna talk to that person, mm. right? When I go to a doctor's office, I think I'm meeting a doctor. So what does that mean about how I'm gonna treat a doctor? Right. Well, when a police officer approaches somebody and meets a parolee, what does that mean about the way the police officer is gonna deal with that parolee mm-hmm. or meets a tweaker? Well, what's that mean about the way that they deal with a tweaker? So we bring in a recovered drug addict who comes up and says, hey, this is my story. And that recovered drug addict is now a community champion, an absolute amazing person. And what makes it even bigger is that person talks about what happened in 2017 after she recovered from her drug use and talks about how she got into her drug use. But in 2017, she walks across the stage and pins the badge on her son's chest. And that changes the concept of what a tweaker might be. So now our approach changes a little bit. And our approach wasn't the worst before, but the best have to get better. In law enforcement, change is a constant. And there's two things in law enforcement that cops don't like. They don't like the way it is, and they really hate change. And so when it comes down to it, that makes it hard. Now, on the flip side, when I say that, when we're doing community training, that that concept is human behavior. Community members don't like the way it is, but they also don't like change. And so now when we're training community members, we want to be able to show community members why it's beneficial to cooperate on that side as well. Right, right. Hey, I want to get into that side about talking how you developed your curriculum and your approach. Uh, But first, I want to take a moment and thank our sponsors. Do you want to be a better leader? Who doesn't, right? The University of San Diego has created an incredible online master's degree specifically for law enforcement professionals. The Master of Science in Law Enforcement and Public Safety Leadership Program was developed by law enforcement for law enforcement, and it's consistently ranked as one of the best online programs in the country. Whether you're preparing for promotion or simply want to be the best leader you can be, the MS Lepsol program will help you be a force for change. Affordable, online, and endorsed by law enforcement. Learn more at san diego.edu slash police one. And we are back and I'm speaking with Sergeant Jason Lehman, veteran police sergeant, founder of WYSM, Why'd You Stop Me? And he talks to police and suspects slash offenders and uh, you're a typical cop problem solver you see things happen you react you remember you know what works for some people what doesn't work for others how did you formalize the curriculum and what was your what were your three goals for the cop and what were your three goals for the community side that's so when it comes to the, the police side, our three goals, um, one is to improve officer safety. And we believe that through effective communication and humanization of the badge, 
and through the application of procedural justice, which we'll be able to get into in a second, that we have one of the top officer safety programs in the world. And the reason I can say that with confidence is just by showing you one tidbit of what it is. What does officer safety mean to the community? It means almost nothing. We've utilized this, this perceivably one-sided term. Well, if we're going to use a one-sided term, what's going to happen? People are going to have fear. Well, if we have, if people, those people have fear, they have a less chance of listening. That's how our brains work. We don't listen very well in fear. Well, if we don't listen very well, then when things happen during police and community interactions, there'll be more violence. With fear is an increase in violence. So simply by utilizing this concept that we are here in a community to engage in officer and community safety, or maybe just take a step forward and change the word to community safety because the police are the community and the community are the police. And now we start talking about community safety and we remove the term officer safety. That doesn't remove the safety aspects. That just removes the term. But the term actually increases safety. Community safety increases safety simply by the term. So that's the first one. The second one is to improve morale and success in the workplace. We're all one decision away from getting fired. So right now, those decisions are closer than they've ever been. In California, there are 10 new laws that were passed, and they've been policy for a while in most agencies. But now that they're laws, they become a little bit more serious, right? Mm -hmm. Police officers have, a, have an opportunity to get decertified, which means that not only do they, can they not operate as a law enforcement officer now, they can never get hired again. You know, there's, a, there's this duty to intercede, which was a policy before, but now it's a crime if a police officer does not take action to intervene um, during a very serious uh, perceived police misconduct issue. So these things are important, but not only that, we wanna be able to improve wellness. And by improving internal wellness, we, have, we do so much better. Police officers have to be well and feel well internally, feel supported, feel respected internally for them to go out, get in the car and go into service with a whole heart. Because what's going on in law enforcement systems oftentimes is the administration feels like they're weighing down the police and then they want the police to go do well. Well, they're weighing down the police because the police aren't doing well. So that system is hard to interrupt. And that, that's the second one. The third one is to, to see the value of being the best instructors. I haven't met very many teachers that walk out of the room feeling bad that they provided somebody with more information. It's kind of what makes them tick. And as if we can be out there and be the person that is teaching and training community members on how we want to be treated, then we feel value in our relationship. When we talk to police officers, we often say, hey, when you walked into your uh, house and your spouse says you're working too much overtime and, and you need to stay home. If the police officer were to turn around and scream at his wife and walk out the door, what would the relationship look like the next day? And usually they say my stuff would be out on the front porch. Well, what happens when we come into conflict situations in relationships with community members not caring about what's going to happen the next morning? So it's so very important to take that mindset on as community educators. So those are the three objectives on the law enforcement side. Um, on, the, on the community side, our three objectives is to get community members, number one, to see the value and good in the police. Aspects of the media have really tarnished and hurt police community relations. And although social media has a lot of negative, it's the number one trust building and number one recruitment tool in the United States of America right now. So there are some positives to social media. But we want to be able to improve that. The second one is for community members to understand what leadership skills it takes to cooperate with authority in general, because the best leaders have been impeccable followers. And that's really important to think about. 
Police officers also have to follow rules, policies, laws, and procedures. And once community members realize that, they feel a little bit better. Community members actually make the rules, but once the rules are made, they can't change the rules during the contact, if that makes sense. Mm. Community members make the rules, they come down as laws, policies, and then after that, during this contact, here they are. The police officers are the ones that know them, and they have to come together. And it's interesting that you brought up the uh, NYPD uh, captain or commander that has this contact. When I tell community members what their rights are, it's, there's value to that. But if I don't have enough time to explain all that, then, it, there, then we come into conflict sometimes. There's know your rights event concept to me. I struggle with because if I tell somebody, hey, a police officer can't get into your trunk um, because that, you know, under no circumstances. And then a police officer orders you to open the trunk. Well, if the police officer got a call that there was a dead body or somebody dying inside the trunk of a red car and a police officer pulled over a red car, that's exigency. That police officer is going to say, get out and open the trunk, right? So there's, there's different aspects to this. But if I've trained the community member not to do that, then the community member is going to be in a use of force with a police officer, right? Perceivably, because right. I was told that, that I have I have a right to say no. So the police that where we put the onus is we put the onus in community members understanding the importance of cooperation during the contact, but then in reporting perceived misconduct after, and then trust in those internal and external reporting processes. Because police officers do go, there are police officers that make bad decisions. Police officers do things bad. You know, we have to be able to admit that out of the eight hundred thousand officers in this country. Three police officers get arrested every day in the United States of America. Today, three police officers will be arrested. And as a police officer, you and I can admit, we don't arrest innocent people too much. So it's important to think about those ideas to be able to admit that there is a little bit of fault on the law enforcement side, but the vast majority of police officers understand your rights. They understand what's going on. So we wanna be able to, to show a community member the importance of that aspect. And then the third piece is just the humanization process. What is it like to understand that behind this uniform is a person with a heartbeat that bleeds like yours, a person who can see and understand culture? Police officers should never say they don't see color. They should see color. They should see race. But they should be passing judgment on the decisions that a person's making inside of their skin. Right. I don't I don't care whether you're white, black, Hispanic or Asian. If you commit a robbery, I have to go and enforce this crime. And if I'm in an area where the majority of people are black. And we're talking about equality and equity. The majority of the people that commit crime in that area are going to be black. So we have to be able to understand that as a community. It doesn't make black people bad. It's just something to think about. Right. And so that's where this cops on dots type of concept. When we talk about deployment, it's really important for the community to understand also because the community has this misconception. They oftentimes think I don't want community members. I don't want cops in my neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Well, then sometimes you're going to have crime in your neighborhood. Well, I want I want a lot of cops in my neighborhood. Well, then cops are going to stop people in your neighborhood. And so it's it's really a, um, an interesting dynamic when it comes down to all of those different ideas. But that's really the goal that we have with the community members. Yeah, those are great goals. And just to clarify, the, the captain, the retired NYPD captain was Eric Adams, who's now the mayor of New York. Okay. And um, he, you know, his opening remarks uh, to the public through a press conference were that we need police. We're going to have police in your neighborhoods. And so I don't know anything about his curriculum with introducing, you know, kids to their rights when stopped, but um, sounds like he's going in the right direction okay. right now okay. with, with, um, you know, law enforcement being a big part of the community. And I love the fact that you quoted 
Sir Robert Peel, you know, the community is the police and the police are the community. Yeah, so. That's the se seventh of the nine Peelian principles. And I, and I, <laughs> it's so interesting that, that I know those things, but, you know, I have the honor of being a national subject matter expert with Lexapol and being able to speak about community policing um, at a national level. And when it comes down to it, policing has d directly aligned with those nine principles from before I was a police officer and they will align with those principles until after I'm a police officer. But the way that we perceive those principles, that's where things start getting sticky and they start getting kind of tricky. And we have to be able to take onus that if we don't start teaching people how we want to be treated, who will? It's a relationship. I don't want to get into a relationship and have a problem and have a therapist tell me how my relationship's going to go. I would like a therapist to help guide me through making decisions from both sides in a relationship. But what happens now is we see that aspects of political groups or aspects of um, groups that are, that are slightly divisive in, in the way that they do things, they're trying to set rules, but they haven't even sat inside of the, of the window uh, or inside the police car. And they don't know that side of the relationship at all. And sometimes they're not even trying to think about that side. So it's about being able to be on both sides. As a matter of fact, I'm, I'm glad to hear um, you know, about the mayor now that, I, now that I think about it, because the mayor now has a perspective that he, where he sat inside the police car and looked out through that glass. Right. And when I was speaking about these Know Your Rights events, I think I might have correlated that specific training to a Know Your Rights event. And that was a mistake on my part. I think you know, when it comes to, to basic Know Your Rights events, I have a bias and I'm trying to overcome that bias to understand it. But it's important for us in any communication to look at both sides. And that's really the important part. So if any training looks at both sides, then we can be more effective because that's what that young man said in the classroom. He said, hey, when you start thinking about us, you gotta, you're going to have a program. And at the end of all of my struggles, um, I realized the answer to the two questions that I asked myself during that deadly force incident. I asked myself, what could he have done better? And I asked myself, what could I have done better or differently? And I, I figured it out. What I could have done differently is I could have engaged community members from while maintaining safety from an educational standpoint. When I found somebody who didn't know what, what, how to cooperate with me, I used to walk away and say, man, their parents should have taught them better. What was I expecting? They were going to show back up at their house at 7 p.m. That, that night and their parents were going to sit down at a two-parent dinner and have a lecture with them on how to cooperate with the cops next time? That, that probably wasn't going to happen. So I missed these teachable moments. Well, when I missed the teachable moments, I could probably ensure that that person who's now no longer with us, who was a good person making bad decisions, that person had 39 police contacts before mine. Mm. I'm pretty sure that not many police officers took the time to tell them why police officers are human and why they should listen. Because if they had, at least there would have been a chance he would have stopped for me when I said stop. Right. Right. So I got upset because I missed those moments. And if I missed those moments, I bet the other officers didn't yet see the value. And because the officers didn't yet see the value, what did that happen? That played a part in me getting into my situation. At least I believe so. So that's what I could have done differently. And what he could have done differently is he could have been engaged in more environments where he learned how to cooperate. It's not, it's, it's not quite 100% fair if you've never really been shown the value of cooperation for a police officer to expect cooperation, it sounds weird, right. but that's just how it goes. So it's, it's interesting to see the dynamic that we're dealing with right now. Yeah. And I mean, you're pretty much describing 
the public cry for de-escalation. And in de-escalation, there's an assumption that everyone's rational at the time. And that's not always true when there's alcohol or drugs or mental illness involved. And, you know, we're adrenaline's flowing and, you know, we're, we're engaged, right? right? So, hey, I wanna be mindful of your time and our listeners' time. Great talking to you. I want to get back with you because I know you have a great success story and I want to hear about that um, maybe in an upcoming episode because I know you have a lot more to share. Uh, thanks so much, Jason Lehman, Sergeant, uh, Southern California, let's say. And I mean, I'm, I'm retired. We can say Long Beach. Long so, Beach, California. Yeah. Long, yeah. Long, Be Long Beach, California and a, a great agency, a thriving agency and a great opportunity to have learned a lot from that that organization so yeah beautiful city and a huge port and i think our listeners on the east coast and midwest are probably thinking oh it's long beach california beaches and umbrellas and cocktails ah, yeah. there's some gang issues there and there's some serious crime in the sunny beaches of long beach california i'm sure you've got a million stories great, great on both sides it's a, all, all around great city it's just very diverse very right, diverse. right yeah. right Hey, thanks so much for spending time. I want to put a link to WYSM on our show notes. Uh, if you've got an article, uh, we're going to attach it and uh, let officers know uh, how they can bring your program to their agency or their areas. Hey, thanks, Jim. It, it's, 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 a, it's the 21st century. So on podcasts, I like to kind of intervene for a second. The best way to communicate is through social media. So if I could plug our social media just really quickly, just just um, on the podcast, that would be great. I would love people to stay connected with me. Um, Team Wisdom is our our social media, and it's T E A M W Y S M. So W Y S M we call Wisdom. Uh, it's a great acronym because we believe we're providing wisdom. And then the second one, I have a public facing social media, and it's Jason Lehman 64, L E H M A N 64. If you want to boost the confidence, the ability to, to cry a little bit or smile, that's going to be able to give that to you every single day. It's my commitment to try and show people what my life looks like after law enforcement. And we have to fight hard to make sure that we live um, beyond those years that those statistics say. So we have long lives to live. I'm going to be able to show that to hopefully uh, everybody out there. And I'm really excited to partner with anybody that's out there and we'll go anywhere, anytime, and we'll make it happen. We'll find a way we're committed to uh, making an improving police community trust across this entire country. And I just appreciate everything you're doing, Jim, for everybody. Every single one of your podcasts is changing lives, minds, and hearts. And the information that you're providing out there is second to none. So please keep doing what you're doing. I appreciate all you've done for this law enforcement profession. I just want to say thank you. Oh, thanks so much. Hey, it's guys like you that make this show great. And uh, you're, you're the talent. I'm just the host. And thanks for spending time with us. Thanks for sharing all that you're doing to make cops safer. And to our listeners, stay safe. Be careful out there. And uh, if you've got an idea, if you'd love to comment on Jason's show, or if you want to nominate another speaker or a, a topic, drop me an email at policingmatters at police1.com. That's policingmatters at police1.com. Hey, stay safe. See you real soon. Take good care.